0: about it. Okay, I want you to receive it, and I'm going to get into it in a second. Who was at prayer in one of our locations this week? Just put your hand up if you were at prayer somewhere around Dubai this week. Okay, so stand up if you were not to pray. I'm only joking. We, uh, we, had an, uh, we genuinely had an amazing time of prayer this week. If you haven't seen this prayer booklet, have, grab it. It's, it's an amazing little book. It's called Gospel Doors, and inside... Like this week, we prayed for the refugees. There's some information about what's going on in the refugee crisis and some specific things to pray for. And what we're wanting is not only for us to come together and pray, but when we come from this place of togetherness, we go out and we pray on our own continually through these things. So we don't want to just, oh, we've prayed for the refugees. Okay, that's done. We want to contend and pray and pray. And God genuinely did something here. This is where I was. I was at the Alcus one. I'm not sure what happened at Silicon Oasis and what happened at El Cusace, but I know God shows up when we get together to pray. And I want to encourage you to come along and pray. I know traffic's a pig. I know it's, a, it's a, a dog, swine. I hate the traffic. I know what it's like. I know there's a price and a cost and all that stuff. I know you're busy, but i tell you what, try and put a value on coming together with your brothers and sisters, worshiping for half an hour, and then holding something like this up in prayer. It would be hard to quantify the value of that. And I want to encourage you to be a part of it somewhere. We're going to try and open up a few more locations for Wednesday for prayers so that you don't have to fight through traffic hell to get to um, prayer heaven. But uh, we'll see how that turns out. Okay. Father, we thank you for this morning. It's 5 past 11, and I thank you for the time I have to bring your word. I pray that you would anoint me in the bringing of it so that I would speak your words. Lord, I want to be faithful to what you are saying, to your divinely inspired words. I want to be, I want to get out the way that you can speak, Lord God. But Lord, I want to bring all the passion and all the zeal that is inside of me um, towards you and towards your ways in the preaching of this word as well. So we commit this time to you, ask that you'd remove distractions, that you'd open hearts now to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is our Luke series. We're continuing with, we're preaching through the gospel of Luke. We should take three years. We're going to do it in six months. And so there's so much stuff we're leaving out, so many beautiful scriptures. But we landed in one amazing scripture today, Luke chapter 12. And so if you've got your Bibles, can you turn there, please? The title of my preacher: is Seeking the Kingdom, and you'll see why as we go on. I don't sound too loud to you guys. That sounded right. Okay, Okay, then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 22, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Think of the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Anyone? 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 No. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Michael Jackson in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. I almost feel like I could throw my notes away and just preach this because I am... I, um, this message of not worrying is a profoundly important message. I don't think actually... There is a more practical scripture, a more applicable scripture, a more relevant to our lives every single day scripture than this one right here. See, because we're facing trials all the time. There are things that are going on in our lives all the time. We go to our bank accounts, and this thing becomes a reality. We walk into our boss's office or our employee walks into our office or our wife walks into the bedroom or our kids walk into the lounge. And there's news and things that are going on and we're processing this information. And in this passage of scripture, Jesus takes this text which says, do not worry, and he he holds it off against faith. And he says, um, he tells us what we must worry about, and he says, oh you of little faith. And so the one side you've got worrying, and the other side you've got faith. And if you want to undermine your faith, you must worry. And if you want to grow your faith, you must stop worrying. We see as well that, Jesus says in verse 29, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. And so there's this connection between where our heart is set and the amount of anxiety in that, that we go through. So if my heart is, is in, what am I going to eat? and What am I going to wear? And, and I'll get into a few other needs and desires that we have. Then what flows from it is, is anxiety begins to flow. Amen? You guys there? Okay, I, I think there's two types of people that are pointed out in this passage of scripture there are what I will call the run-afters because Jesus says there just go back to that previous slide the pagan world runs after all such things and then there's the seekers okay you can go ahead so there's two groups of people the run-afters and the seekers and as believers we are called to be seekers and even us though too often we become run-afters as well and I'll explain what that means there's a a psychologist by the name of Maslow. Who's heard of him before? Maslow. I'm guessing he's German or, or Russian. Um, anyway, it's school advice. I can't remember where I learned about something called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Do you remember learning about that as well? And Maslow, you go to the next slide, has a pyramid that looks something like this. These are actually his original notes that are downloaded. That's his handwriting. So he's got this pyramid which goes from our most basic needs up to our more... Um, more like desires than needs. And so the, the, the physiological needs are things like sleep, like food, like water, and he puts sex in there as well. I'm not sure exactly what he's going for by putting sex in there because uh, you, can, you can survive without sex. Just for the teenagers, I need you to know that, okay? It's possible to survive without sex, okay? But you can't survive without food, water, and sleep. Obviously, you've got to have that. But um, maybe he's talking about the advancement of the human race. Then he gets on to safety and security, uh, love and belonging, self-esteem, and then finally self-actualization. So I'm not commenting so much about the validity of the model, though I think there's validity in it. I think there are some basic needs that we have in order to just be alive. So we do. We do need to eat and drink and all that sort of stuff. And then there's, there are, as we move up the pyramid, there are needs that give expression to what it means for us to be human. And so a man can be in a prison, cut off from his family, um, completely isolated, and have just enough food and water and sleep to survive, and he's still being human and he's still living. But actually, that's not what God wants for him. And it's not how we, we were created to live. God wants to bring us into a place of increasing freedom. And so... Jesus speaks about those physiological needs. In verse 22, he says, he says um, something. He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And so he's speaking about our, our basic needs, those, those very things. But in verse 23, he says this, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. And I think Jesus is kind of saying, it's not just the bottom of the pyramid. The other things are important as well. It's not just about survival. I spoke to somebody this week and I said, you're living like a believer with a beggar's bowl. You've come to Christ but you, you were a beggar before you came to Christ and you've carried your beggar bowl and you're walking around the house of your father, this palace, this, this royal home that you now live in with your beggar's bowl and Jesus comes and says, my son, you don't need to carry that around with you anymore. He goes, no, I'm, I'm not letting go of this thing. But, but you're, you're, everything he has is yours but he can carry around the beggar's bowl and some people... Jesus is saying, it's it's not just about the the bottom part of the pyramid. There's much more that I have for you, and I need you to believe me for the more. For others, he's saying as well, I think, that um, this life is not all there is. That it's not just about physical fulfillment. There is more beyond that in this life as well. Because some people have got everything that you could ever think of, and they have nothing actually. Am I right? So Jesus says in verse 33, which I didn't read, He says, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. And so these are legitimate. And under love and belonging, for example, he's got things like family, friendship, and uh, sexual intimacy. Those are legitimate desires. Um, The desire for sexual intimacy is a legitimate desire. My dad told me, Hope, Dad, you're not listening to this thing, because I don't mean to embarrass you. Maybe I shouldn't have said my dad. Some stranger told me once, that the original sin in the Garden of Eden, the eating of the apple, was that Adam had sex with Eve. And that's absolute rubbish. Okay, let me tell you that. Because God put all those body parts on their bodies for a good reason. And God created it for a reason. So sexual intimacy is a legitimate desire. The question is, how do we work out that desire? And so we've got, these things are legitimate. under self-esteem, is some, one of the, the things there is appreciation or respect. And we want to be appreciated. We want to feel like our life has some significance and some meaning. Who wants to live an utterly meaningless life? No one. No one wants to do that. Who wants to be respected? And by that I don't mean in a prideful way, but just that, like your, your wife respects you, or your husband respects you, or your children respects you, or your colleague, colleagues at work respect you. Everybody wants those are legitimate needs. And so both the run-afters, and the seekers recognize that those are legitimate needs and legitimate desires. So, what's the difference? Why is Jesus calling us to be seekers and not to be run afters? And this is this is the difference. It's how we go about fulfilling that need or that desire. See, the run afters. Definitely, yeah. Sorry, the run afters um, go down the route of perceived least resistance. So, for example, if I want sexual intimacy. What is the way that I can get it quickest and easiest? Get married, yeah. Then, you're throwing me off there now. I'm just trying to think if that is the quickest and the easiest way. I'm, I'm doubting it. Anyway, I think there are quicker and easier ways. But, um, but they go down that route disregarding God and disregarding his ways and disregarding his timing. And so, but the seekers are pursuing God's ways and His timing, and, they, and they're seeking to please God. And um, so, just if we look at that, that pyramid, just under safety and security, for example, he, Maslow puts these three things, or these things underneath there. He says security of body, of employment, of resources, of morality I'm not sure what he means by that of the family, of health, and of property. And so, basically, he's saying that my, I'm physically safe and I'm economically secure. Legitimate, again, there's no problem with wanting that. The problem is when we set that as our number one priority and we set the strength of our arms as the means by which we will accomplish that. When Linda and I had been married a short time, I was away lecturing somewhere and a house got broken into. And um, they, uh, I don't know what these guys were up to, they kicked our burglar guards in and climbed in, they drank our wine, ate our cheese, which is very rude, and they stole... (laughs) All our Christian CDs. Uh, what do you do with Christian CDs when you've stolen them? Like, can't kind of you go in the street with your jacket and you go, I want to buy some Christian CDs. <laughs> worship, worship. You know, it's like, what do you do? I don't know what you're doing with those things. Anyway, they stole a hi fi and a whole lot of junk. And um, no, they did steal some junk. They stole our broken cell phone and our broken camera. It was beautiful. We got paid up by insurance for two new things. It was like a blessing. Anyway, that's another story altogether. But obviously, somebody's broken into our home that easily. They just stood at the window, kicked the burglar guards, climbed in through the window, and they were in our space. They they, they come into what should be a secure place for us, and especially obviously for Linda. I travelled already then a lot, and so Linda would be home alone. We had no kids, we had no dogs. It was just Linda on her own in this um, big home, old home that we had, and um, and. We, so we wrestled with this thing of fear and this thing actually of, of safety and security, of, of is God going to undertake for us? And one of the things that we had to settle in our hearts is this. If that God doesn't protect you, nothing else can. See, if God doesn't protect you, no high walls will protect you. If God doesn't protect you, no guns can protect you. If God doesn't protect you, no security systems going to protect you. And we resolved, we, we weren't going to be stupid. We, for the most nights we, we did lock our doors and things like that. I was a little bit slack, but we, I, mean, I tried not to be stupid, let me put it that way. But we wanted to be good stewards of our moment, and, and, I, and I appreciate, for example, living in the city. Just the other day, I was thinking, Lord, I'm so grateful that I can put my kids on the subway, or not the what do you call, it, the train, metro, and they can shoot into town on their own, and things I would worry about in other countries, I don't have to worry about. You. I'm grateful for that, but I'm telling you what, it doesn't matter where I live, I would expect the protection of God. Not in a presumptuous way, but in a faith-filled way that I expect God to, to protect me. So whether I'm living in South Africa or India or Australia or Dubai or anywhere in the world, I've got an expectation that God is my provider, not my own strength. I do, I do fantasize about protecting my family. I've, I've told you before about my Jackie Chan thing. Hey, where I have this dream of 10 uh, robbers breaking into our home and Linda waking me up and going, there's somebody in the house. And I go out and I see the 10 robbers, obviously armed to the teeth, standing before me. And I channel the spirit of Jackie Chan. Now, I mean, I do not not occultically in any way. But I suddenly, I'm, I'm, I have this Samson-type power and I tear them apart. And Linda walks out the room and she goes, Oh, my man. <laughs> hey, baby. ha) <laughs> But Ethan says to me that I've got spaghetti arms and it ain't going to happen. So, (laughs) But sometimes we make decisions on on good things like this based on our fears rather than on our faith. We make decisions based on greed rather than contentment. So we go where the money is. We stay in the jobs where the money is. We live where it's safe instead of living where God's called us to live. And if you compare what a run-after does and how a run after lives compared to a seeker the seeker is saying i want to first find the kingdom of god here so i don't mind where i live because i want to find where god is at for me and my family and in this season for us it's here and another season he's going to call us somewhere else i can tell you where i'd like him to call me it's like we've got a couple of young girls that recently went with ywam and they were they suffered for the lord in hawaii you know what i mean it's like like, I'm not so sure that counts, hey? Do you know what I mean? I think you've got to go somewhere harsh in order for, anyway, that's just me. So, um, number two is love and belonging. If you, uh, one of the things we absolutely must know is that God has hardwired us for relationship. Am I right? There's some people that don't want to be in a relationship. It's because they're broken. I just want to say that. I don't mean, I don't mean in a romantic relationship. I mean in a community that we, we, are, we are to be connected with other people, with our, either our family, with this community of faith, with friends or whatever. We are, God has literally hardwired us for a relationship. And when you are a loner and isolated, it's because something has got broken somewhere on the inside. And God wants to come and restore that. But because this is so important to us, because it's absolutely essential for us to have, and he puts in these things in this category, friendship, family, and sexual intimacy... We find so many ways to satisfy this illegitimately as well, and so I have people come to me and say things like, "I've met this guy, oh, Robbie's so cute," <laughs> but that's not important to me. I, I mean, the looks don't matter. Um, he/she says, but um, and, and I'm I, I'm you know, and I, I want to date him, and I say, well, you know, I don't ask how much money does he earn, or you know, this or that or the next thing. The first question I ask is, does he know the Lord? Is he a believer? Because the Bible speaks into that, and it's profoundly important. If, if Jesus really did die for us, just hypothetically, and I know he absolutely did, if he did, and the reason why we sit here today is that we believe he did, then it changes everything. Everything changes. And therefore, it's the most fundamental part of who we are as people. It affects Affects every part of our lives, like I said, this scripture that he speaks to us. This is not just anybody speaking, this is Jesus speaking. And if you marry to somebody that doesn't believe the same thing, then at the most fundamental level of where you are, how you build your life, there's a difference. Now, you might be married to an unbeliever, and there's a clear Uh, wisdom and scripture in in how to continue in that marriage. And and there's grace for God if you come into that. But we don't willfully put ourselves into that situation. So I find people, they they want this, and it's a legitimate desire, but they want to go about it in an illegitimate way. He's he's not a believer, but I love him so much. If people come to me and talk about the thing of homosexuality, but Rob, how can we say to somebody that genuinely, a man that genuinely loves another man, that he can't be in a relationship if it's a loving, monogamous relationship. And, and, and how else is he going to find family? And how else is he going to find sexual intimacy? And I want to say those are legitimate desires. He just can't go down that road to find them. And there's, there's people that are looking for, that are, that are in um, loveless marriages are saying, I, I want to find I want to find intimacy in my sexuality. And so they look outside of the marriage for what they can't find. And it's a legitimate desire. It's an illegitimate path. And whenever we go down illegitimate roads, we end up in bad places. And we have to ask ourselves, in the world that we live in today, with so many people going down the roads they want to go down, how are we doing? let go to the next slide, please. Ashley Madison, an adultery website. An adultery... <laughs> what? They've got a website where people who want to commit adultery go on, sign up, and they find other people that want to commit adultery and they have affairs with them. Affairs sounds bad. They commit adultery with them. 39 million members. 39 million people have gone to the trouble of signing up on a webpage to commit adultery. There are 42 million pornography websites out there. In South Africa, the country I come from, half a million people are raped every single year. I just, half. God, help us. See, it does matter the road we go down. It may not matter to you, and it may not matter right now, but we sowing into this thing. Whenever we go down a road, see in Deuteronomy it says, God says, I set before you life and death. And he says this, now choose life. It's that simple. There's the way of God, which is life, and that's what we have to seek after, or our own way, and it leads to death. And I said to somebody this week, I, I think there's a university out there that I haven't actually found, but some people go and study it. It's called the University of Stupid. Really. And some people actually have PhDs in stupidity, because they make one bad decision, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And you're thinking, are you doing this on purpose? Are you trying to destroy your life? And I'm telling you, the reason is they're running after the things that they need instead of seeking after the things that God has for us, where the life is. Lastly, if we look at self-esteem, achievement, respect, I, I, I think this is true for every person. It's certainly true for me. I want my life to matter. Am I right? I mean, who wants to lie on their deathbed and go, well, that made no difference? Do you know what I mean? It's like, if I was alive or dead, it, it didn't affect anybody, it didn't impact anybody. Who wants to, to know at the funeral, people are going to go stand up and go, the three people that arrive at your funeral and go, that guy was terrible. I'm so glad he's dead. I only came here today to check the body to make sure he actually is dead. We want people to stand up and weep. I hope this happens at my funeral, babe. Please just make sure, okay? <laughs> Rob, he was an amazing guy. Oh, he impacted my life. and He was so this and so that. And Maybe we should have a practice funeral for me soon. But we want it. I want, I want to be in a relationship with my wife where I have respect, where my children respect me. I want, I want a, that the work of my hands to, to be worthy of respect. And it's a big issue in the world today. I tell you, I sit with people and counsel them that are still trying to prove to their fathers that they've got what it takes. Their fathers are dead. Their fathers don't care anymore. And they're still trying to prove to their father, I've got what it takes. I, met, I, was, I spent some time with a man once. He was in his 40s. He had... Um, he would grown up really poor. His father said to him, boy, you'll never be anything. And he had absolutely set it in his heart that he would be something and his family would never be poor. And he did. I mean, by the strength of his hands, he did it. And then one day he lost his job. And then what happens? His world fell apart. Absolutely fell apart. Because he was building it on this one thing. One thing i 've got what it takes, and my work proves my my job, my career that proves who I am and then when the job went, his world fell apart from him, and he had to slowly begin to build his life on God, he had to stop being a run after and start being a seeker. How are we doing in this regard there 's eight hundred thousand suicides every year every forty seconds, somebody takes their life There's I think 120, what is it, 121 million people suffer from depression. Man, we've got everything. Do you know what I mean? We, we live in a world with iPads and iPhones and iMacs and Apple TV. I like those products. I'm just mentioning those. But even if you've got a Samsung, and I, I don't know if you noticed that the Ashley Madison webpage was on a Samsung phone. I think, I don't know if there's a connection. I'm joking. <laughs> just a bit of banter going on, yeah, a bit, but we've got everything, it seems. We, we live more prosperous than we've ever lived in our lives. We're, our level, for us, you know, we've just been through a massive financial crisis. And uh, in 2008, over that time, the economy crashed around the world. The, the stock exchange lost more value than even when the great, we went through the Great Depression. At the time of the Great Depression, people were jumping out of windows because they'd lost everything. In this depression, this great depression we went through, because our wealth as a people is so much higher, it actually just dropped there. We were still, no one was not eating. Or most, not many people were not eating. And still, with all that we have, there's just a hopelessness that grips the heart of man because when we run afters, we actually end up getting a hold of the prize and going, it doesn't do it for me. I thought it would. I thought that would be enough. I thought that... Getting the Ferrari I dreamed of my whole life or, or getting to the top of my business so people knew I was the best or, or being world famous. I thought they would do it for me. It just doesn't do it. It's, it's empty at the end of the day. We're trying to fill our lives with things that don't fill it. There's a God-shaped hole in us, as somebody once said, and only God can fill that. We can't put other things into there. I sat with a man some months, oh, maybe years ago now at a Starbucks here in Dubai. And he was at a crossroads in his life. He was at that choose life, choose death moment. And, um, and he told me that I, he was going down the road, that scripted he was a road of death. And, and I, I, was, I, I begged him, I warned him, I threatened him. I mean, I did everything I could not to go down that road. And he said to me, and, and one of our deacons was with me, and he said to me, It's a decision I've made. I'm doing this. And uh, I didn't hear from him again for some months, probably six months. And then he wrote me an email. And he said to me, He said, My life is an absolute mess. He says, I've, I've, I've got into debauchery and drugs. He says, I, he, says I would, he said this in this email I would give anything to be back at Starbucks again with you making that decision. See, the choices we make today is the life we build for ourselves tomorrow. Are we going to be run-afters, or are we going to be seekers? I sat with John's dad the other day, Duncan Watkinson. He's a, been a pastor for many years. He's in business now. And I think in, in kind of most measures by which we would measure a man, a man of success. He's, um, he's uh, raised um, two really amazing children and John. <laughs> and he's... Uh, I mean, he's he's invited to speak into big contexts in business. He's you know what I mean. He's, he's he's done everything. I said to we were talking about life and ministry, and I was trying to see what I could glean from him from my own life. And he said, you know, I've been accused of being a man without vision because he says I haven't got like particular goals that I'm trying to achieve. Like I've never in my life kind of said, okay, I'm going to build a church of a thousand or a church movement or a business of this many employees. He says, I. He says, but I've but I have had clear guidance. He said, there's two scriptures that have have guided him in his life. And and one of them was from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, which says this, we make it our aim to please him. And I think that's the difference between a run afterer and a seeker, is what are we making it our aim to please? The run after says this, I'm going to make it my aim to please me. I'm going to fulfill my needs and my dreams. I'm going to make sure that that, that that hierarchy of needs gets fulfilled in me. But the seeker says, I want to please God. This is an amazing scripture in, um, somewhere in, one, in Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10. It says, Paul writing, he says, And so, from the day we heard about this church, these believers, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We sang that song tonight, he's a good, good father. When we look at that scripture where Jesus tells us not to worry, he, he uses the term there, father, and, and he says this, he says, aren't you worth more than a sparrow? And yet God knows and feeds the sparrow, or the raven as it was in that example. So, I mean, I wouldn't even, barely even pay any attention if I walked past a dead raven on the road. We are worth, we know we're worth so much more than that. I and mean, yet God says, he clothes, he feeds them. Not, not them themselves, he feeds them. How much more, friends, will he not feed us? He says, he says look at the, the grass of the field. It says, it, one day it's up and the next day it's down. But like, like not even Solomon in all his splendor. And I use Michael Jackson because I was trying to think of somebody. I was going to say Lady Gaga, but she just wears some weird stuff. <laughs> in all of, all of his or her splendor is dressed in that way ever, but God clothes the gro- He clothes it. How much more will he not clothe you? See, there's a, there's a kindness and an extravagance and a generosity in this God that we serve. But he, he really is. He, he actually cares about what we eat, about what we wear, about those, that whole thing that God cares about that. And he wants to minister into that thing. And our response to the kindness of this God that we serve is to want to please him. Not because we have to, not to earn his love, not to avoid curses. It's like not, God's not sitting there thinking, I'm going to throw a curse on him and let see. Oh, he helped that lady across the street. Okay, let me find something. He's not doing that. He's, he's actually with hands full of blessing. Like, oh, who can I bless? Where are my kids? Where's my... Where's, oh, there's Rob. Oh, oh he, Oh let me just love on him oh, there's me just the love on him because that 's what he is he 's a father, and he wants us to live pleasing to him not not to earn his love, but because we love him, and because we know that when we 're pleasing him, listen to this amazing verse somewhere oh yeah, in ephesians five verse twenty eight it says this in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, listen to this, he who loves his wife loves himself how 's that so I'm not saying I'm brilliant at this, but if I love Linda, it's like the most selfish thing I can do in a good way, in the best kind of selfishness. Because if I love her, I'm actually loving myself. And if that's true in this relationship, how much more is it true in this relationship? The more I love upon God, the more I please him, the more I do things his way, the more I adore him and honor him, the more I'm actually loving upon myself the more I'm walking into the blessings and the wholeness and the fullness of what God has for me, the less I go down the road of run after and the more I go down the road of seeker of the kingdom of God. I sat with a lady the other day who's telling me about um, plans that God has, she feels that God has for her life. So she's been called to a war-torn country in the Middle East to go work with refugees. She's a single lady and she came down and talked to me and um, I suppose the natural thing would be, don't be stupid. You know, that's, it's dangerous. It's difficult. I, could, I said to her, what have you heard? And she told me what God had been speaking to her about. She showed me a journal where she'd been recording what God had been saying, where the peace that she had in her heart. And she was coming now to sit with me as a leader, to submit, to, to get counsel, to get perspective on the thing like that. And she, said, I, she, she like tears were beginning to fill her eyes. She said, I just, I just want to walk in his ways. I don't want to get outside of his path. you know what I mean? It's like, I know he has a plan for my life, and I just want to be there. And I said to her, you know, I said, you know that scripture in Psalms where it says my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places? You know that scripture? So it's good. Boundaries are good. And boundaries mean that something's in and something's out. And so there is an area where we walk in the ways of God. This is where he wants us to live, in his boundary lines. And if you live outside here, you're not walking in the ways of God. So some people, they, they, they run after us, will, will sometimes drift out of these pleasant boundary lines into some other place. There are boundaries, but they're not narrow. God doesn't come and set a little area like this where we, we kind of live claustrophobically in our life. It's broad. They, my, my, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places, I think I can't remember exactly how it goes, but what a delightful inheritance he's given me, something like that. This is broad. And I think, I said, I said to this lady, I think you could live in Dubai and be in the blessing of God and in the, in the boundary lines of God. And you can be living in this place or you could be living in this place and still be in the boundary lines of God. It's not like this, flip, I hope I get this right. Oh, Jesus, am I making the right decision? You know, should I be going to work today or should I not be going to work because I want to be in the will of God? It's broad. It's, it's wonderful. We trust the providence of God that He's for us. We live under happy skies, not angry skies. There's this sense of which we give ourselves to it. But if we want to please Him, we need to hear from Him. Like this lady, we need to be able to hear what He's saying for us. And I want to finish in the next five minutes with this. How do we hear from God? I think there's five things that we need to be aware of. Number one is we go to the Word of God. I don't know what your view on the Bible is. I believe it is literally God's Word. I do. I, if it's not, then I don't know what we can possibly believe. Because the revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior comes from here. That's where it comes from that your Your knowledge of what he 's done is recorded in here, and if that 's not true, or if the other stuff 's not true, then that might not be true and then our faith just unravels it 's like somebody pulls at a thread. I am absolutely convinced by intellect, what I understand in terms of how this, this material was transmitted, and also by faith that this is god 's word, and it has guided me on on so many occasions and uh, and when we're trying to hear God's voice, there's some things that we read in here, we just read it and do it. Am I right? So some people go, you know, I know it says in the Bible, I shouldn't do this. But what? What bit? What bit? Don't put a but on there. If it says in the Bible, I shouldn't do this, say, okay, I'm not going to do this. Or if it says in the Bible, I should do this, then do that thing. Let's not be second guessing what the word of God says. Secondly is the um, the, the counsel or advice of others and this is in no particular order we've got to go to people we trust god says that there are three people that will be accountable for your life so one is your your leaders in the church hebrews 13:17 says that obey your leaders and make their work a joy for to do otherwise would be of no value to you because there are men who must give an account for you the second one is your parents and the third one is your spouse so those are people that their voices should be louder than anybody's voice in your ear. And that's why that lady came and spoke to us. She wanted some counsel. Don't make this, I'm going to marry this person. I don't care what my parents say. I had a cousin that did that. If you're listening to this, it's not you I'm talking about. am talking about somebody else. I knew a guy who, uh, who married this woman. And he, uh, on his wedding day, we went to the wedding because he was a guy I knew. And... Um, Everyone was opposed to this marriage. Eh? Everyone, and um, they played this song like in your nose. Look at us now. That you thought I can't remember—is it Shania Twain or something? You thought we wouldn't make it, but look at us now. I'm the wedding day. For goodness sake, you've had one day, China. Played the song in 20 years. They divorced now. Look at us now. It's like like thumb in the nose of everybody who's trying to help you and we've got to if we're listening to God and wanting to live a life pleasing to him and seeking his ways we're got to be listening to those that God has put around us you don't need to get people's permission but you do need to get their perspective and if you're the kind of person that goes and gets perspective and never listens to it ever then there's something wrong with your heart you need to, you need to go and get counsel from those that you trust okay thirdly it's a uh, peace Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. I've, um, on a few occasions, I felt this niggle. Like, I'm going to make a decision, and, that doesn't feel right. And I've ignored it because I thought, it's just me, I'm being hypersensitive or controlling or, or I had too much pizza or whatever it is. And so I ignore it and later on I regret ignoring it. God gives it to you. His spirit is in the communion with your spirit. And when there's a decision to be made, you need to find peace. And sometimes, actually, it's at the, the moments where it's most counterintuitive, when you should not have peace. Like for this lady, if she's, she's moving to this war-torn country, but she's has got absolute peace inside. See, that's massive. That's massive. Other people won't do it, and they shouldn't do it, but you can, and you should, because you have the peace of God. Number four, the inner voice of God. Sometimes God just speaks i, I didn 't hear his audible voice I, but but he spoke to me you know, and sometimes the Word of God comes like that, so it 's not just his his written word but it, but it, it almost comes alive. Can I say this carefully out of context? I, you know what it means, and you know what the context means, and you know what you 're drawing from it isn 't unbiblical but but it means something to you that day that 's like written to you for when I, before I left the company that was at Deloitte's, I, um, I was offered a job promotion into another division. But I knew if I accepted it, I would have to give two years. And I felt like God was calling into ministry soon. And so I was weighing up this decision. And I went and I did all these things. I read the Word of God. I went and spoke to people. I prayed. I, I, said, I really wanted this job. It was going to be good. And I, and I really wanted to be in ministry. If, if they, tomorrow I would go. And I, I'm like, what should I do, Lord? And I, all the people I asked were utterly useless. I went to Mike. I said, what are you thinking? I've had no idea Pfft, you know, Look good you are. went to somebody else. They don't know. They don't know. So it was up to me. And I was in the Word of God. I'm reading. And then, and then one day I'm, I'm reading. And, and, I, and I get my answer. Um, Gee, my eyes look bad. Uh, let me just find it quickly. I actually marked it out with a date. Um second of 21st of February, 2000, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought the field. And I knew God was saying, don't take the offer. Don't take the promotion. And I turned it down and within months, I was full time in ministry. But but see, that word doesn't mean that to you tomorrow. If you read that, you don't think, oh, I better quit my job. But for me, it was that. That was what the word was for me. It was absolutely clear God had spoken to me, and it didn't matter what. what I mean, some guy thought I was mad, but I, God had spoken, and I knew it. And then, lastly, circumstances, and uh, the others vary in order, but this one's always lost. And I can I say that again? It's lost. What did I say? Lost. The flakiest Christians are those that are led by their circumstances, because circumstances are up and down. Sometimes your marriage is woohoo. You know what I mean? Like swinging from the chandeliers, marriage. Like, amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Like, you wake up in the morning. You, oh, yeah, baby, I'm married. Like, that kind of marriage. And someday your marriage is like, yeah, comes the prison guard. <laughs> That's how Linda might feel sometimes with me. But it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, I'm married, it's settled, God has done this thing inside of me, and so I pursue love, and I pursue his purposes, regardless of what the circumstances of that day are like. Sometimes your, your job can be amazing, and sometimes it can be a dog, but that isn't what drives you. The truth is that the devil can open doors as well. And I remember going to one guy, and he was making a decision, he was praying, he said, okay, God, if that eagle lands in that tree, then I'll do it i oh, Jesus, help that man, please. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like He's not going to bother to listen to God. He's not going to bother to pray. He's going to th- you know, that in, the, in, the, in the new covenant, they draw straws to decide who the apostle is that's going to replace Judas. That's, that's the last time they ever drew straws. It was because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit's poured out, they never do that again. We don't toss things on the ground and bones and dice and cards and go, if, it, if it's a head, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up my job and serve God. If it's a tail, I'm going to go and make a million. But we don't do that. We have the Holy Spirit. But sometimes circumstances reinforce what God has said to us, and sometimes he's spoken so clearly that we press through circumstances, even if they are against us. Do you know what I mean? So if God has told you, for example, you ought to be in Dubai, and your visa comes up for renewal and everything it's gone wrong and you think, oh, geez. people are saying, maybe you should just go home. And you go, no, I know, God's called me to be here. And you persevere and persevere and suddenly a miracle takes place and you're able to stay that you wouldn't have seen if you'd relied only upon the circumstances. The problem is run-afters get what they want sometime. Chase after the things we think we need and we actually get it. And we drink it and we find that it's a poison chalice. You know, the Bible is replete with examples of those that wanted something so bad that God gave it to them. And then it turned out, actually, that the receiving of it was the judgment that came. And uh, there's a difference, though, with with seekers. Seekers at first feel like they lost. Do you know what I mean? That they're the losers. You think of um, Joseph in prison, Jesus, of course, on the cross, Paul, who was martyred for his faith. At that point, you would say of Joseph, Loser, you say of Jesus, loser, you say of Paul Loser. But Paul's able to write this at the end of his life. I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Won't you stand with me please? So, so there was a man that came to Jesus and said, how can, I, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said to him, and he was a religious leader when he was a lawyer. And Jesus said to him that um, that he had to do it by, well, he actually put the question back. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's something we can't do on our own. We, we're not, because of our sinful nature outside of Christ, and even in Christ, if we're quite honest, in this, in this life, we can't love God 100%, all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. It's a reminder that we depend upon the grace of God. And so when the religious ruler came to Jesus late at night because he wanted to find out what was going on, Jesus said to him, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And none of this matters. It's just emotional, a motivational talk. Maybe it inspires you, but apart from Jesus Christ. I've told you something without any power. See, the power to live as a seeker, the power to be that child of God comes from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Our sins have separated us from God, but in his death upon the cross, he's made a way that our sins have been paid for so that we can receive forgiveness. And it's available for every single person, but we have to receive it. It's like, imagine there's a plague affecting the whole world and it's, it's utterly destructive. But there is an antidote and it's been, it's been produced in extraordinary numbers so that there's enough for everybody. But you just have to go and get it and drink the antidote. And some people can walk around and they've got the disease and, they, and they, they're feeling the rotting in their body. And they're going and say, well, my brother, why don't you go get the antidote? And he says, no, it's, it's, it's there, I know it's there, I'm fine. No, but it doesn't work until you drink it. See, the, the provision has been made for our forgiveness, but we need to receive it in faith that Jesus Christ is God and that his finished work on the cross was complete. And that, that, that begins the journey for us of moving from running after other things that don't satisfy and seeking after that which brings true joy and true peace and true righteousness in our life. As I was this morning... I don't know the spiritual state of every person that's come in here. And maybe you've come in and you are are on a spiritual journey. Maybe you've come with a friend. Maybe you found us on the internet or whatever it is that brought you through the door. I believe that God is speaking to you today about being reconciled to him through his son Jesus Christ. No religious ritual. No signing up as membership of the church. You can't even do that. It's coming in faith to Jesus Christ starting at that point and letting the rest be led by Him. So why don't you close your eyes, please. If you today know that you need to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, then I want you to quickly just raise your hand. I'm not going to linger you for long. Thank you. Who else? Just put your hand up if that's you and you're saying, Today, Lord, I've been on the outside... I've been running after. I'm sick of that. Thank you. Thank you. Then if you raise your hands, I want you to pray with me this morning, please. God in heaven, I thank you that you've sought me out. I've been running after all these things, trying to do things my own way, having no regard for you and your ways. But that changes today. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for his life of obedience, his death upon the cross, and that he bore in his body my sin and the penalty that that sin deserved so I could stand today and receive my forgiveness. And I do, Lord, today receive that free gift of forgiveness from you. And I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior, so that today I would be born again by your Holy Spirit and I would come into your family. I thank you, Lord, that today I become a child of God. And Lord, for those men that have raised their hands and perhaps for those that didn't, I want to pray this morning that your grace would rest upon them, that this prayer that they prayed is not a prayer, uh, it's not a ritual, it's a prayer of faith, and it's faith that receives, and what you've done on the cross guarantees, Lord, that when we put our faith and our trust in you, Lord, that we become your children. I thank you for those men today that have become your children, Lord God. And for the rest of us, I want to pray today. will not you just lift your hands before you for a moment, just in the attitude of surrender and of receiving. Father, we don't want to be run afters. We don't want to go down a road of death. We want to choose life today. We want to seek after the things of the king and the kingdom. And I want to pray, Lord, for hearts that are, that are pursuing you and pursuing your way. Uh, that, that, that Lives that aim to please. That, that come from a, a posture of confidence in the goodness of God. That your ways always bring life. Even if they're delays and even if they're different to what we would imagine. Lord, we, we pursue your ways. We believe that you are the provider. You are the protector. You are the one that undertakes for us, Lord God. And Father, where anxiety and worry and fear and greed and other things have been a part of our lives, Lord God, today we lay those things down. We, we refuse to worry. We, we, we insist upon walking in faith, trusting in your goodness, Lord God. And Father, where there are some that have been gripped by worry, I want to break that off of them now in Jesus' name. I want to pray that they they would make a a decision of their will today that they're not going to give place to that worry and that anxiety in their life. I thank you for the confidence of Romans 8.28 that God works all things for the good of those who love Him. And I pray, Lord God, that you, please, God, would undertake in Jesus' mighty name for your children and where they've put their confidence in you, that you would give them signs to know, Lord God, that you are to be trusted. Words that would come from friends, Lord God. Scriptures that you would drop in their heart. Um, just evidences, Lord God, that you are acting on their behalf right now. We commit this day to you. We love you. We thank you for what's going on at Silicon Oasis and for what's taking place in the city and the other churches that we partner with, Lord God. We give you the glory and the honor and the honor And the praise. Amen. The new magazine is out. Once a quarter we produce a magazine. It's unbelievable. You should be paying hundreds of dirhams for it. Really. But it's free. It's, It's hard to believe. But just take one for you that you need. But it is out. And don't forget to get the tickets for the ladies event. And if you're a man and you own anything like smart clothing, then be a volunteer on that night. Okay? God bless.